Welcome to the AAA NFT podcast, all about affordable NFTs, bringing you from zero to 60 in the non-fungible token world without breaking the bank. With your hosts, Andrew, aka Rantum, and George from Mostly Stable on Zed Run, who will help you navigate new projects, interview expert guests, and explore NFT trends. So whether you're on your first or 50th NFT, we're going to have something for you. And as a quick note, we are not, I repeat, not financial advisors and nothing in this podcast should be taken as investment advice. Alrighty, disclaimer over, let's get to it. Today on, I'm just going to call it all about affordable or just all about NFTs, all about affordable NFTs. We're not sure what the price are affordable. (laughs) All of the NFTs that you can see are affordable. Great. We're going to be talking about hodling art during bear markets. What history can teach us a little bit about how the fine art, traditional art, trad art, if you will, markets have fared during major recessions and moments in U.S. history. Kind of just an interesting retrospective, but maybe, you know, put everything in context as we think the world may be ending. Guess what? You know, there have been much worse times in history and art is an interesting asset to watch over that period of time. Andrew, how's it going? Going well. Just uh, protecting my Monets over here. Yeah. Yeah. The digital digital Monets. Hey, I think I'd take the over on that. I mean, you're the guy who did have a Fidenza at one point. Like, that'll be looked back as a, as a thing. Mm, uh, did have one, did I? Yeah. Although, well, frankly, selling it now, and you got, you know, you got a little action off of that, like... And of course, I put that right into my U.S. dollar bank account or bought a bunch more NFTs. One of them. <laughs> Take your guess. Yeah, probably no different than the wins that I had in uh, my early days of horse racing and breeding when the times were good. And uh, I plowed those profits right back into police. So there you have it. Anyway, what are we seeing in the, the good old headlines here? All right. So we've got some news from OpenSea. They have launched Seaport. We talked about this a little bit when they announced this was coming, but this is, um, so this is a new protocol they're operating on. Um, so one of the big things here is it's going to save, save collectors a lot in gas fees. I mean, big time numbers. I think they're saying it's a 60 ish percent. Oh, sorry. 35%, uh, savings. So 65% on, um, but you save 35% in gas fees, um, with this upgrade. So that's, that's pretty significant when you think about, uh, how much gas is usually spent on NFTs in general. Um, let's see some other things that there, that will be, uh, enabled here is collection offers by attributes. So you could actually say that you want to only make an offer on the, uh, the blue hat, uh, the blue hat owls or whatever. Um, and put an offer out to all of those. Um, it used to be that you would actually manually have to go through and put those offers out. That's a really nice feature. Um, and I think you can actually do collection wide offers as well. So if you just wanted to put one in at the, uh, you know, on the floor. Um, so that's something that has been offered by looks rare, but, um, has not been up on OpenSea until now. Um, so pretty uh, impressive, uh, upgrades here from OpenSea. I think that's a really awesome upgrade and one of those like features that, you know, is, is launched during the market, not paying attention, but may have 
real implications on volume and transaction and capability there, right? Because if you're reducing friction and reducing costs, ideally that will increase the uh, velocity of people making the, those transactions because you don't have to pay so much for each single one. All right. So this is an interesting one. Saw this headline that the uh, U.S. Tr or trademark applications uh, surpassed 4,000 applications total in 2022 so far. So as you uh, may not be surprised to hear, that is a significant increase. And I think, um, you know, it just shows you that there's a lot of innovation and building going on in the space right now. Uh, looks like it uh, peaked with over a thousand in March has come down a bit, you know, maybe with some waning attention from some, and I'm sure some, many of these will never, uh, be used, but, um, you know, in general, I think that it's great to see that there's a lot more, uh, interest in this area. Unless they're all CC zero, in which case it's open creative commons. That's right. All right. And, uh, we talked about this company getting into space or trying to get into the space a while ago, it is LimeWire, the old peer-to-peer uh, -peer music sharing site. They are actually launching their NFT collection. So I uh, would not necessarily recommend getting in on this, but um, also they may be somewhat late to be able to just launch one with a name um, and not much else attached to it. I'm sure there is something with music rights in here. I just don't know that they would be the one uh, to, to lead the NFT crypto music area. Yeah. I mean, sound.xyz is out there. Uh, there's some like others that, you know, async uh, out there. There's, there's a lot of players, but you know, hopefully it helps more artists. I'm not quite sure. Yeah. We have one last headline here. It looks like we've got a, the Colorado governor is fundraising with NFTs. I mean, obviously fundraising is, uh, relative term at these days, you know, but it's trying to raise some funds with NFTs. I, you know, I do think that it's interesting use case, you know, I'm sure we're going to see, you know, it's, it's not much different than a, uh, than a, um, I don't know, a, a social media personality selling NFTs here now, you know, just another way to give and get something of value though. I don't think there's much value there. <laughs> it looks like a player playing card. And he priced it at the altitude, so it's 52.80 uh, for 5,280, so it's $52.80. Uh, he has sold 145 of his insider access to the governor. I don't know if there is a... There's an inside, there's an inside circle, I assume, right? <laughs> yeah. No, it's, um, it's special. It looks like a playing card, and it's dog i imagine it's his with the bitcoin laser eyes yeah he's uh he's 145 on his way to 2000 sold so we'll see here's you know all jokes aside i think we'll see more of this and it's important because if politicians are beginning to understand and use this technology they're more likely to create reasonable usable policy around it and that's what we need looking down the road for the legitimization of NFTs. Yeah. I mean, I, I think we're just seeing it more and more, and that's a big difference in what we saw in the past when things went cold, there's still a lot going on and people take it at least well, there's more people taking it seriously as a way of funding, as a way of, of launching new projects. And, um, you know, I don't think that's going away. All right. You want to get into our affordable wait for it project? 
That's right, because we are just, you know, looking at things speculatively in the bear market. We are looking today at Artifact. We talked about this also in Discord recently. This is, so Artifact, uh, this is a company that launched during, I think it was launched in 2020 um, and was purchased by Nike last year in 2021. Uh, so this is now a Nike owned project and the new NFTs all have, or I think they all have the, the Nike branding on them. Um, so this is a, they have a digital sneaker out, of course, is it's the, uh, you know, it is from Nike. It's the, uh, the name of the shoe now I'm blanking on it. Nike dunk Genesis crypto dunks, right? There we go. Nike dunks. Okay. Classic shoe. So they've got this shoe that you can then put a skin on. There's different vials that you can get and design these um, or add different looks to the sneakers. I believe there is actually a design portion maybe coming to this or maybe that's just rumor. Um, you know, it's, it's definitely, you know, it's one that I don't think, I don't think Nike's leaving the space. And I also think that they've got a lot of credibility by having that artifact name. It's a legit team that has, you know, really been innovative in the NFT space and has, uh, I mean, led a lot of other companies into, um, this sort of collaboration phase in doing, um, real world, uh, shoes, um, artifact in the past did, um, they've made real sneakers that were all personalized or customized with, uh, different punks on them. Um, I believe that was I don't know, maybe March of last year. Um, and I think those shoes went for one ETH a piece at the time. And I saw some pretty high resale values. I'm sure they are collector's items now, since you cannot actually get them. Um, and you know, they're going to be able to do that. They can, I assume with Nike as well and start offering some, some real world versions. Yeah. It's important to note the, there's two parts of this Nike dunk Genesis crypto kicks, and then you get these, uh, Artifact skin vials, uh, Evo X. And if you want to customize your shoe, you need one of these vials. Some of the shoes that are already listed are customized already. You'll see that in the attributes. So keep that in mind. If you want like a clean untouched one, uh, unequipped versus equipped is what you're looking for. And so you'll, you'll want to see if it's got a mod or vial and, and do a little homework on what it is that you're getting into and how it's been designed. I like this, or I like waiting for this, I will say, because, I mean, ironically, we've, as mentioned before, we've recommended things that were 0.3 when ETH was at, you know, 3,000 and above, <laughs> so, you know, at a current floor of point, uh, 0.98, um, it, is, it is sitting there at that price. I like this because Nike's not going anywhere. They're not a startup. They're not an organization that has got all their money in crypto. Like they are, they are definitely here, here for the long term. And what's more, sneakerheads have already very much been a part of the commodity collection game of limited edition sneakers of which they can flex and prove they've had that. So I am, this is, this is definitely on my wish list for, for waiting. I don't know if I go, uh, cause we talked about Akatars last time or this, um, all these artifacts. I mean, the, the Alcatars are dropping faster, but here's what I believe. Uh, Nike ain't going anywhere and they will drop future shoes. They bought the entire company of artifact to create more of these. And I think there is, you know, real world connection, which means actual value. So, uh, I think these shoes will survive as I do think Nike will survive, which means this is an interesting project to look at whether or not you like sneakers or a sneakerhead yourself.
Yeah, I'm really interested in this one as well. Artifact, I think, has um, has done so much already, and I think Nike has proven that they can drive collectors to to their products. I mean, they've been doing it for decades at this point. They're not a, I mean, they're not a company that is looking to um, to this as their only thing. They can look at this as one thing that they are doing, and also understand how to use this as to to reward customers, to reward collectors. In to drive revenue, they're they're going to. I think they're going to be successful from a business perspective and being able to drive uh, to, or to reward the people that are holding these um, for the long term. And I think that a lot of that will come from real world um, integrations of sorts. And I'm excited to see what they are able to do. You know, artifact what artifact is able to do with the resources of Nike um, in the future. Yeah, again, not going away part of their Web3 game. And if you're talking about the whole ecosystem of sneakers, they've got the reputation, they've got the designers. Uh, and we may or may not know somebody who's on a design team over in there who may work on a digital shoe. So uh, I feel like we've got to get into this one soon. So uh, hanging out in the Discord and uh, let us know what you think of this one. All right. The team, oddly Lart during bear markets. So in many ways, we've never been where we are right now in the sense that, hey, a digital currency-backed art market has never been around. We've never been, you know, people holding a, a digital currency when the Fed has increased at rates like this in a period of time of confusion, chaos, fill in the blank, blah, blah, blah. So, right, can history really tell us that much about what we're doing right now? Maybe, maybe not. In the areas where I think it can is looking at art capital A. So not co-ops, but art capital A. Things that rhyme with, you know, Monet. And looking at what happened during sort of World War One, World War II, the Great Recession, even 2008. What is happening in the art market and how closely or not does it diverge or track with call the S&P, right? Like our, our overall market index of what's going on. And I think it's just uh, an interesting way to look at it. Uh, again, another big difference is it's a heck of a lot easier in terms of volume to be moving art around. So now, and then an NFT and a contract. So in some senses, you get a much more sensitive idea of the price at the moment versus something that has uh, a, a lot lower volume velocity of, let's say, you know, you're, you're not exactly like handing off your uh, Picasso on a, on a contract over the course of 30 seconds. It was something that usually had to go through a little bit more friction to, to change hands. But what do you see when you look at some of these historical comps? I think that's a good point in that there is some friction and there's some, um, uh, it's not the most liquid market in, in art, um, in traditional art. And I think that, um, you know, we'll probably see that in a lot of crypto art as well. Um, you know, we've said that the volume in general in NFTs has has really dropped, you know, but I think that there, you know, we have seen some high end arts, art, crypto art trading. Um, or I've noticed some, uh, some more trading. And I think that there is an opportunity here for some collectors to, to get into pieces at um, much lower US dollar prices. And there are some people that are willing to sell. You know, then you've also got people that I know that some the the some of the pieces that I hold that are much more on the art side, I'm much less willing to sell at these prices because I'm getting, you know, what is 
a relatively small amount um, in U.S. dollar terms. And it just doesn't seem worth it to me. I'd rather hold the piece. I think that it will hold better value in it's certainly in U.S. dollar terms. And, and, you know, I think that there's a very good chance that it will, that many of the pieces will be worth much more because ETH will also increase in price um, or because ETH will increase in price and the price of the piece will increase also um, over time. And it's just not worth it to me at certain points. And I think that that is something that is good to art pieces in that there's some sort of emotional attachment. There's some reason, there's some, some reason that you wanted it in the first place if you did buy it for, you know, not just a financial reason. And it makes people a little less willing to, to, to sell just because, or especially because there's a, a, a big downturn in the market and it's not worth nearly as much as what they think it is. Yeah. Looking at, so I dropped a bunch of links in the, in the show notes, so you can kind of look through and parse these data as you, uh, as you will, but during the uh, world war one period, 19. 13 to 1920 period of time and, and looking at prices at a time uh, and uh, see if I can get this right. The S&P, uh, the S&P recovered 94% of its value, you know, after having lost about 26% by the end of that period of time. Um, and in contrast, a art index, uh, Moses art index, uh, declined 34%, but then rose 125% uh, in the post period of that time. So a large art index. And so in some ways, it seems like, you know, it, it may have felt it a bit more. <laughs> it felt a downswing, but the recovery was felt even more so uh, in art. And it's definitely considered over time uh, a different type of store of value, uh, especially during tumultuous times. There's less volume traded, but it seems like uh, there, there's less, less drops in those periods of time. Yeah. And, and I think one part is that there's, you know, overall fewer buyers, um, out there, you know, you see that that dries up somewhat, but you know, that's maybe a good thing in some ways when there are, um, liquid markets, you're a lot more likely to go sell, um, than, you know, than when it takes a lot of work to go find that buyer. Um, it's the, you know, you can see this with equities. When, you know, when there are bear markets, people will sell just because the price is low. And in many cases, you know, they haven't actually changed their opinion on the company and the, the company may be doing well and it may end up doing well, but it's really hard not to sell when there's, you know, when everybody else is selling in that price and it doesn't feel like it's ever going to come back as opposed to, well, there's just not a buyer right now and a buyer will come later. Um, you know, that's a different mentality, I think, as a, as a collector. Yeah. And then again, looking at not just, you know, I said the World War One. now for World War II period of time, which a much greater, uh, much greater recession, 1937, 1946, uh, a period of, uh, yeah, again, World War II, looking S&P, lost about 50% of its value and then recovered to basically that level by 1937. Uh, and in contrast, the art index um, from their, uh, increased its value by 88% and by 1937, 130%. So again, in the recovery, it exceeded, uh, what the S and P technically did in that, uh, in that bounce back. However, I do have to note that that art was valued in us dollars. There's something different when your art is valued in a currency, which is 
also deflating. So you have, again, risk on, risk on layered assets. But that gets me excited. It gets me excited because it means that that slingshot back of capital A art, things that we value as cultural artifacts of our community, actually have tremendous upside because it is at a discount on a discount. Uh, the first discount being the fact that ETH is down. The second discount being that the general art market, yes, will go down. That's what we have seen. But the upside has the potential to lever that much more if you're looking at these you know, macro art indexes of the, uh, and you can look it up, the MEI slash Moses art index over time and how, how that sort of tracks. Uh, again, overall, if you're looking at 1875 to 1995, that art index follows along with uh, the S&P, but it's in these like moments where the, the spikes happen, they, they, they outperform. Uh, the S&P for those bounce backs. So, you know, I was looking at some art data, uh, crypto art data on cryptoart.io and we'll add that to the links as well. Um, and one thing that I noticed here is they showed the, the uh, most, the highest sales ever. And what is interesting is that the most expensive crypto art sale, or I think NFT sale is, uh, may not be that, but it's the Beeple piece at 69 million. And interesting enough, this sold for um, 65,000 ETH. So that was actually at a price of 1,063 ETH at the time. So not very different than, I mean, actually I was looking at this, it is the exact same price. So, um, doesn't seem that long ago that that, uh, that that sale was getting, you know, was kind of getting all the attention. And I am actually amazed to see that ETH was at 1,000 at that time. Um, wow. So, you know, he was, I don't know, he, he certainly brought a lot of attention with that sale. And it's, it's crazy to think that ETH went almost or went over four times higher than that. Um, so for the same ETH, ooh, wow, we were looking at, uh, over, over 300 million. Yeah. I know that actually from that story, people sold, uh, he immediately liquidated, uh, I believe, uh, all of, uh, all of that, that sale. If he had it, he would have just round tripped the whole thing anyway, would have. If he had held it all the way up and just held it all the way down, he'd be right back where he was, where he started. So, you know. I'm finding bright sides. Here's the truth. Uh, there are so many times where I'm like, oh, but if only I moved this to this and I bought this at this point. Here's the real truth. I would have round tripped it all. Like, it's a one direction. And I was like sending money into, into this ecosystem. And there's just, unless I was going to sit there patiently with stable coins, like I'm playing a game. Um, and I know the money I'm playing with is like, should all be expected to be lost. Uh, but it, how I'm thinking about allocating is really, again, like we keep bringing projects up, but like these things probably will survive. And if they do, they're going to have a higher bounce back rate than I believe the base level currency based on us really guessing, frankly, and maybe appropriating or not appropriating how the cultural asset of art has fared through recession and the bounce back. Yeah, I think, you know, I think we're somewhat still discovering what the meaningful art will be, um, you know, but I think you're right in saying that traditionally we've seen that art holds value because that's what culture, I mean, culture shapes around that cultural values. And, you know, we're, we're still discovering what that is right now, but I think we're trying to say that there's going to be, there's a pretty good chance that there's going to be more 
cultural importance on digital artifacts in the future than there are now. You know, trying to wade through what those are is difficult, but you're trying to look for the people that are going to keep creating, keep working at it and not put a bunch of low effort, uh, you know, things that are definitely not art, um, but also, you know, and, and we are talking about a different thing here, but people that are creating original pieces that, you know, will, uh, you'll appreciate not just because of the value of the piece. I think there's something so simple in what you just said, and I just want to repeat it, you know, in a different way. In say 10 years, do you think people will appreciate more or less the digital art that they can have and hold more or less than they do right now and understand that this like interesting moment in time and like look no further than like collectibles that try to find the first an unboxed NES system or a, you know, troll doll or something like that, that also on top of that, the type of, you know, major art pieces created that solidify, you know, something like impressionism. You're like, oh my gosh. And your mind goes immediately to, oh, the style maybe of Andy Warhol and pop art. And these are iconic moments and then pieces that can be owned. And that's happening right now. But also, let's just juxtapose that with some other projects. I'm not saying it's going to not make it, but something like Goblin Town, which like right now it's the top of mind. You're like, oh, I wish I owned it. Right? It's got a floor of call it four ETH. But that, you know, for, for almost one ETH more, you could, or for that amount of money, you could very much buy capital A art right now, made by artists that are actually like the Picassos of our time. I don't know who they are, but I know that they are out there. I don't know where that is, but I, I believe that even with that amount, you could find some of those. Yeah, that's a good point. I think there are, you know, I think there's some great art out there right now. Um, there's less liquidity to it, but I also think that's, that's, uh, an opportunity with people that are looking to get out and, you know, there's definitely people that want to sell right now. Let's. If you can identify the right thing, I mean, I think it's a great time to, to put a weft bid out there for, for something that you're ready to hold. So is that feature ready? That open C feature, can I make a project wide bid? So let's just say there's like, let's go slide. Like I'm going to try my right hope now. of getting, um, stupid squiggle so that you can't hold that overview that you, hey, I don't know I'm where I remember, I remember it was like a year ago almost now, uh, but. Could I put a bid out for like four ETH on all of those? Let's figure that out right now. I'm not see right off the bat, but tell I can eat. I mean, I have a plugin that does it, but I, I'd rather go with a native tool because there's a, I have some silly plugin that lets me spend money at faster rates. But, but is that the one where you, you've got to do each, you still have to make both. each bid individually, right? I think uh, yeah, be maybe. more like you can make one. Bid, but I can't seem to figure out. Wait, what am I now? Doing? Wait it out. No, I don't want to make offer. I'm, I'm not sure. Yeah. Gonna have to figure this out. We're gonna. We'll get back to you in the Discord. Yeah, we don't need to go through another uh, live. This is how Andrew. This is how George we'll click on buttons. Classic. Well, um, we're talking to you in the past slash future, and I know that NFT NYC. When did that officially end? Uh, let's see. Um, it's, uh, it's going, it's going, it's so, it's awesome. Yeah. Uh, it's, 
Yeah, second day, actually. So the second day of it, I guess uh, there's a few more events going on. Yeah, uh, the second official day was just wrapped up and it was it was a great. Uh, well, I've got so much to say that I'm going to have to save it for next episode. Well, it'd be great if you could release some alpha right now, specifically in the past while we're recording this. Is that how is that how time travel works? When yeah, George, you're really making this difficult here. <laughs> No, no, you got to save the real alpha for Discord, of course. So we'll be watching and waiting for you in there. All right. Good luck. Travel safe. Keep those NFTs uh, not in your hot wallet. This has been an episode of the AAA NFT podcast, all about affordable NFTs. The episode notes and resources may be found at 3ANFT.com. In our show notes, again, 3ANFT.com. And that reminder, don't bet what you can't afford to lose. Remember, we are not financial advisors and nothing in this podcast should be taken as investment advice. Thanks for joining us. I hope you learned something.